0: need it to use it for toddlers or babies is uh, through the foyer at the base of the stairs is a a, a room there to utilize that. Uh, Grab a Bible, open to Colossians. I don't care whether it's an old school one like I have or if you've got an electronic one, um, just open to Colossians. We're going to do a Bible study together this morning. Um, We're going to go old school and actually read through some scripture, pull some stuff out. Um, And... I'm going to be really honest and really transparent from the get-go. I, I have an agenda um, for this series. Um, in fact, I've got an agenda for, for life. And, and my agenda is to, um, to build us as a church up as the most robust, Bible-believing, faith-filled Christians we could be. I'm not going to tickle your ears on a Sunday. I'm not going to give you five points to your best life and how to be financially free. All that stuff's great and that might come out at some points, but i want us to dig into the very Word of God so we can hear from heaven and have our spirit man built up in its most holy faith so we are robust and strong to face a world that is not congruent with our faith or our lifestyle. So having done all to stand, we can continue to stand when the world around us is trying to push back on the kingdom principles that we claim we live by. So that's what I'm doing. I'm also trying to um, steer us back to the centrality of Christ, away from the, 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 the distractions that this world faces and unite us back around Jesus So that it's Him that we unite around. That we can have peripheral differences of opinion on social issues and other issues. But when it comes to the things of faith, Jesus is the epicenter of our faith. So to do that, we've been looking at the book of Colossians. And uh, this is week four. So if you're visiting for the first time or the first time in this message, we're up to week four. And we've just been breaking it down bit by bit, uh, thought by thought. And so we started off um, in week one looking at the context. So this book was written by the Apostle Paul in about 61-62 AD. It's an actual letter, historically, that was wrote in an actual time in history to an actual church that existed. This is not fairy tale stuff. This is, this is almost history that we're looking at. Well, not almost, it is. It's his, literal history that we're looking at. Paul's in prison in Rome. Uh, writes a letter to the church in Colossae and is, is basically the, the, the main crux of, of this letter is twofold. It's, it's to correct a bunch of false teaching that got into the church and then to encourage them into some practical ways of how they can outwork the Christian faith. And so when we looked at that in week one, we looked at what a lot of scholars believed were the actual false teaching issues that were coming into the church and then we looked at those things, we're well, like, it's not too different to what we face today and some of the false things that have crept into the church 2,000 years later. That sometimes we can have this, this idea that we have progressed um, intellectually, technologically, morally, spiritually to this place where this primitive first century church was so lame and so dodgy because they were just so dumb. And we've now got enlightenment because of so many years of history and text and information that we're somehow better. But the reality is we're not. We're still making the same mistakes that the people made 2,000 years ago. But the gospel of Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that's why we unify around Him, because it's in our weakness He's made perfect. And so then the second week we looked at, arguably one of my favourite topics to preach on ever is the preeminence of Christ. Um, preeminence is just a fancy word that means surpassing all others. That that if we are a Christian, then we declare that Jesus is Lord. And by pure definition of what the word Lord means, if he is Lord, then nothing else is. Your preference is no longer Lord if Jesus is Lord. Your desires are no longer Lord of your life if Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is preeminent. So we broke down what that means. And then last week we looked at rejoicing and suffering, um, which seems like a bit of an oxymoron, but... Um, just looked at Paul's take on suffering, what Paul actually went through in his life. We literally looked at all the things that happened to him and, and how he says that, you know, he counts it joy when he faces these, he rejoices in his suffering because it actually causes the gospel to advance. It actually causes the kingdom to be built when Christians suffer. And not that there's anything spiritual about suffering, but it's when we find meaning in suffering, suffering loses its power, and God still moves through that. So God's not looking for the perfect conditions in order for Him to use us. He's looking for those who would say, oh, despite my circumstance, I'm going to say yes and just do it anyway. When we decide to make room for God, He will fill that place and put us on mission with Him. So today we're going to jump into verse 6 of chapter 2. And we're going to just tiptoe all the way down to verse 15. So I'm going to read it, then we'll break it down. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and all authority. In Him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. I know it sounds weird if you're visiting, but we'll explain what that means a little bit later. Verse 12. Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your, trans- in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us of our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands." He disarmed the rules and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. God I just thank you this morning that your word is alive it is powerful it is inspired from heaven it is useful for us today it is not an ancient text that holds no relevance for us in 2021 that is absolutely just as powerful for us now as it was to the original readers in 61 AD and I thank you Lord that the truth that is in these pages would enlighten our heart and illuminate our mind and excite our spirit to be more in love with you because we realise how much you're actually in love with us Lord would you bring freedom? deliverance and power to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage, these few verses from 6 to 15, it's almost a hinge in the book of Colossians. A hinge in that it, it connects two things. It's, it's connected to the, the correction that's taken place in the first uh, chapter or so about what Paul is trying to realign in the church in Colossae. And it's also a hinge to what's to come in the back end of the book, which is more practical teaching on how to live the Christian life. So we see this passage is, is, a, is a swinging door, this, this hinge. And this passage is also, as I said, um, a bit of a weapon in my arsenal of my secret mission to strengthen and unite the church around Jesus and not around contemporary issues or controversies. So here's what we're going to do. A little bit different. That's why I want you to have your Bible so that you can know I'm not cheating. It's just God's Word. You can read along with me. Verse 6 in chapter 2. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. As you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, again, by pure definition, if Jesus is Lord, nothing else can be. Because that's what it means to be the Lord. There's only one position of Lord, and, and if it's Jesus, then nothing else is. And Paul establishes this thought again, in, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 10, he says, to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. So we need to, if, if we really identify with Christ, if God really is our heavenly Father and we are his children, then we need to act in such a way that would bring honour to the name of our Father. Anna and I are, are, are leading our children and our hope and our prayer is that we raise our kids enough so that they would bring honour to us in the way they live their life. And so likewise we have a duty to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. And if we are found in Christ Jesus and if we've received him in the fullness of what that means to receive Christ which is God in bodily form then we had to walk in him and with him I read this great quote this week the Christian who is not making progress is an open target for the enemy so we're not about work so I've got to make that really clear it's not about doing more stuff to be more holy and more perfect it's just about following Jesus, mistakes and all. You know, we, 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 we fall forward, we get up. We fall again, we, we get back up. But the Christian who's not progressing, the Christian that's stagnant, the Christian that's not intentional about their spiritual disciplines, about their walk with God, the, the Christian that's not intentional about walking in a manner that's worthy of the Lord is an open target for the enemy. Anna and I, full disclosure, we, we are a little bit obsessed with a TV show at the moment. Um, Desperate Housewives of Melbourne. No, I'm joking. <laughs> it's the New York one. We, we love that one. There's a show, it's a show on, on SBS called Alone. Anybody seen that? It's Alone? It's this weird obscure show that was, that's filmed up in Canada somewhere. And we're up to season seven and we just can't get enough. And the premise of the show is basically this, that 10 contestants uh, get selected out, out of like 5,000 entr- entrants that want to participate in this show. And they take them to like, some of the most remote places on the planet. So we are now watching a, a series where they're filming in the Arctic, 40 kilometres below the point where trees stop growing. So it's like crazy sort of terrain. And they just take the contestants up there and they drop them about 50 k's apart from each other, all by themselves. They've got one backpack with 10 items they can take, and they've got a, a carry case with all the camera gear and stuff because they've got to film themselves, otherwise it's a, sort of a weird show. Um, so they're responsible for filming themselves all the adventures they go on. And, and they've gotta, whoever, whoever lasts the longest wins like half a million dollars. That's the premise of the show. But the catch is um, you don't know when other contestants drop out. So you've got a, a little walkie-talkie to, to back to home base, so if, you get, if you're starving or you're injured or you get over it, you just call them and within an hour they're there to extract you. But you don't know who's been extracted at what point. So you're just left to your own devices to survive. And so what we've realised is the contestants that aren't making progress in erecting shelter before the winter hits, because they do it right, like two weeks before winter hits, and winter hits real quick up there, and whole lakes freeze over. So those who aren't progressing in getting food and and, and um, smoking the food so they can store it, those who aren't progressing in and gathering firewood to keep the wood uh, the, the firewood burning so they can have warmth, those who aren't progressing in getting water, those aren't progressing in actually are the ones that are susceptible to the enemy of the weather conditions and predators out there that will come and attack them. And it's such an interesting parallel to the Christian life that if we are not intentional about being about the business of the kingdom and if we sip and I've seen this unfortunately time and time again where Christians will pull pull back from church, pull back from engagement, pull back from prayer, pull back from the word of God and they become stagnant and they're not intentional about progressing in their faith. And progressing in your faith simply means this, it's drawing closer to Jesus. It's not doing, necessarily doing more for him, it's just being more with him. That's when we're more susceptible to be plucked off and ironically become alone. Verse 7. Rooted and built up in him, abounding in thanksgiving. Christians aren't meant to be tumbleweeds weak lifeless and light that are blown around by deceitful philosophies in every wind of doctrine and again i've seen these people that's that's not the kind of life that being filled with jesus gives you we're designed to be more like trees growing and steadfast rooted We go down and also built up. We go up and we abound in thanksgiving. We are fruitful. We are thankful. Thanksgiving is the language of heaven. It's thanksgiving that we enter the courts, God's courts. And this is the life that God's called us to live, to be rooted, to be built up, to be abounding. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive. This literally means kidnaps you. See to it that no one kidnaps you by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elements, the elemental spirits of this world and not according to Christ. Verse 8, that's what that says. This is why we must test things against the nature and work of Christ, which is why it's so important that he is preeminent, which is so important why I spoke the other week about having... Christology as the highest form of our theology that we don't have a, a theology of the end times or we don't have a theology of the church or we don't have a theology of, of other things that is higher than our theology around the work and nature of Jesus Christ because it's in him we live and move and have our being and it's in him that everything else falls into place and how the kingdom operates so see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophies are empty deceit That are not according to Christ. I had someone recently ask me um, why the Christians tend to be involved a lot more in conspiracy stuff. Because a lot of the lot of the regular unbelievers out there just they're just they're cool. it seems like in the Christian community there's, there's a larger percentile of those that that love that sort of thing. And my initial observations of this, and again, this is my thoughts, don't it's not the gospel but I think it's a case of misplaced activism that that when we're born into the kingdom of God with salvation comes mission it's part and parcel of the Christian life it's like we 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 come to Jesus we accept all that is the free gift of salvation that he pours out to us and with that Comes that mission, the mandate to go into all the world, preach the gospel. We we get a cause. But in order for the cause to go out, we've got to go down. We've got to go deep. In order for the fruit to grow, we've got to get the roots healthy. And so the work of the disciple is oftentimes in the quiet place, the unseen spaces. It's in the quietening, quietening of our spirit to hear the still small voice of God. It's in going to someone's house and having a meal and building a relationship with people rather than just dropping a Jesus bomb and then saying, see you later, bye-bye. It's actually building relationships to give you access into people's worlds, to share the gospel with them. And all that stuff comes from this, this quiet strength and humility, this meekness that, that Jesus talks about in Matthew 5. And we're all designed to have this mission, this mandate, this act, to be part of some, some sort of activism. But it has to be centered and measured according to Christ. And so that's the test. We run it through the Christ test. Does this cause align with the nature and work of Jesus? Am I surrendered to Jesus and can see that? If it doesn't, then it's probably misplaced activism because we've put something else as a higher importance than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sorry, I'll move on. Verse nine. When I say I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. I was just just tokenism, to be honest. (laughs) Verse 9, In Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. What this means is, we see God whenever we see Jesus. We talked about this a few weeks ago as well. It's like, well, I I can't see God. How do you know God? Just look at Jesus. When you look at Jesus, what He did, what He said, who He interacted with, the fact that He would overlook the, the, the in crowd and go for the the filthy, corrupt business guy, like Pastor Dave talked about this morning, indicates a standard with which Jesus is setting for us to follow. And so that then becomes the heartbeat of God. Because Jesus himself said, I only see and only do what I see the Father doing, I only say what I hear the Father saying. And then Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So we see this pattern of imitation in the kingdom. But Jesus is the standard for all of that. So, the point of Jesus being the the fullness of of deity, the divine dwelling in him, is simply to point to the fact that we, we know God whenever we see Jesus. Verse 10: In him you have been filled, who is the head and rule of all authority. So, when a person is born again into the family of God, he is complete in Christ, lacking nothing. Our growth and maturity, therefore, this progression we talked about, is not by addition but by nutrition. Because we're called to progress. We're called to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Even though when we are saved, when we receive Jesus as Lord and we become a follower of Him, we have been given everything in the spiritual realm. We have given every blessing. We are full in Him, complete, lacking nothing, the Bible would say. But we're still called to progress in Him, not by adding a, a, a theology doctrine, not by adding, uh, I've started 10 you know, global missions, or I've done this sort of stuff, or I give millions of dollars to the church, no, no, we don't add to our salvation. We progress by the, by the nutrition of our soul, by guarding our hearts, by feeding on the word of God, by being in the spirit of God, by, by doing what one Thessalonians 4 says about living a quiet life connected to Jesus and connected to other people. Hmm. Verse 11. This is a bit I said I'd explain later, so, because... If you're, if you're new to the Christian faith. It's weird. In him you were circumcised. Ouch. Oh, not by hands. Oh, that's good. That's good. Okay, cool. Cla- clarity. Not by hands, but by Christ putting off our flesh. See, in, in Jewish culture, circumcision, which you know what that is. I don't need to explain that. I don't need to put pictures on the screen. Um, would, would take place at the hands of the priest as a Jewish ceremony that would symbolise that boy's consecration to God. So they would nip the tip and that would then symbolise or mark that child as consecrated to God. And they were were in. But Jesus, thankfully, um, when he fulfilled the law and the the new covenant was established between God and his people from his resurrection did away with that ceremonial practice. But the, the principle still remained that circumcision needs, needed to happen in order to consecrate somebody to God. But for us now, that circumcision is of the heart. It's the cutting off of the flesh, the sinful nature that exists inside of us, that wants to do things against God, that wants to be a rebel, Jesus, when we give our life to Him, cuts that off, circumcises that, because He is now our high priest. If you read, Rome, uh, read Hebrews, he, Jesus is now our high priest. He does that at the moment of salvation. He cuts off that sinful nature so that we are now marked by Him in our spirit as consecrated to God. All the men said, Amen. Verse 12, buried with Him in baptism, raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. So we've been buried with Christ in baptism. This is the importance of baptism. It's an outward symbol. It's like, um, it's like, it's like a wedding ring. It's like if I take that off, <laughs> I'm still married because I've made vows and I've signed documents. just that I don't have my ring on. But when I put my ring on, it's an outward symbol. To ladies back off, this is taken. Okay? That's what that says. So so baptism is not about it's not a way for you to get saved. It's a way of telling the kingdom of darkness, back off, I'm taken. It's an outward expression of what's already taken place inwardly inside of us, that we have been buried with Christ. He's cut off the old nature. It is killed and raised to brand new life in Him. And that's why baptism is so super-duper important. Through Through the powerful working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. Right. So Romans 8 verse 11 says this. I want this to sink in. This is one of the most profound scriptures in all the Bible. And you'll need to sit on this for ages and just meditate because when when the penny drops with this passage, holy heck, everything changes. Shall I tell you what it is? No, you're not ready for it. (laughs) The same power that rose Christ from the dead lives in you. Break that down. Biologically, what happens to someone that's dead? They're dead. It takes Medicine can't raise people from the dead. Incredible science that we have in 2021 cannot raise someone from the dead. When the brain stops and the pulse stops pumping, the doctor calls it. Sorry, dead. But there's a higher authority and he's, it's God, Yahweh. And he rose christ from the dead and that same power the spirit of god lives in you and in me at the moment we confess with our mouth and believe with our heart that jesus is lord which is why i have a hard time believing that a substance can take away salvation Because a substance that I get injected into me does not give me, has not taken away my power to proclaim with my mouth and believe with my heart that Jesus is Lord. A substance does not take away the power of the blood of Christ to wash away my sin and make me forever right in his eyes. Talking about heroin. No. I thought it was pretty clear what I was talking about. vaccination, gosh because <laughs> people people believe that if you get vaccinated you'd lose your salvation and I'm, tr- I'm trying to I'm trying to be diplomatic and unite us around Christ because I don't care if you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, I really don't care that's your choice, I've made that really clear from day one could not care less As long as you make a decision based that's best for you and your family, amen, hallelujah. Let's hold hands and say goodbye forever, I don't care. But if people are going to say that it removes someone's salvation, for me, if this is controversial, I reckon we're going into, into Hebrews 10 26 territory, which tramples underfoot the blood of Christ and therefore no longer remains a sacrifice for their sins. Because how small is your view of Jesus and the finished work of the cross? Because there's only one thing that takes salvation and it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is a willful denial of the power and presence of God from one person's life to push God away. Which is the same as salvation. It's to bring God near, you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that he is Lord. And you make space, and he comes near. I didn't plan on saying any of this sort of stuff, so for that, I am sorry, and I will move on. I promise. Verse thirteen: Who dead in our sin made alive together with him, having forgiven our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This is the gospel, pure and simple. These two verses here—that is the gospel message. God's word is the receipt of a transaction that's been paid in full of the purchasing of your life at the expense of Jesus' life. And so, so the enemy will come who is a deceiver, and accuser of the brethren. He will accuse. He will question you. He'll throw deceptive ideas and thoughts out there to derail us, distract us, all those things but this book is a tax invoice proof of purchase paid in full receipt declaring to all of heaven and all of earth that what jesus did on the cross was enough to purchase your salvation in full because christ laid down his life in full for us which is amazing so nothing can snatch us away because we just got to bring out the receipt sorry something can try Like, I've got a phone and I purchased this. I own this. I've got a receipt that it's been paid for. You can try and take it from me, but it will never, ever be legally, rightfully yours because it's I bought it. I purchased it. I would have to relinquish it over to you willfully to give it to you. The same is salvation. Jesus has paid for us in full and the enemy can try and snatch us away. He can try and distract us away. He can try and discourage us away, but nothing doesn't take the truth away from the fact that we are his paid in full. He nailed that to the cross. Verse 15. In doing so, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. I read this great quote this week as well. You and I share in his victory over the devil. We need not worry about the elemental forces that govern the planets and try to influence man's lives. The satanic armies of principalities and powers are defeated and disgraced. I love that, defeated and disgraced. And the whole topic of this portion of scripture is alive in Christ. That's who we are. We are alive in Christ. And the same power that rose Him from the dead actually lives in us and when we understand that my goodness that changes everything it gives meaning to our suffering it gives meaning to relationships it gives us a cause greater than ourselves to live for that's actually about what God saved us from and to and so it's such a, a beautiful thing to realise that we are actually alive in Christ that's it done done Bible study finished. I'm going to pray for you. Then we'll go drink coffee together. Father, I just thank you for every single person here today. Thank you for our time together. I thank you for an incredible time in worship. Man, it was so good to.